Hello, and welcome to The Art of Space Engineering, the podcast which explores how spacecraft and payloads come together before launch and the lessons learned along the way. This episode continues my conversation with Addie Cooler, Joe Mayer, and Omar Alavi, and explores the student experience of balancing projects with courses and other commitments. This includes ways that we handle things like time management, working with others, and just pursuing our passions in general. Now, in case you haven't listened to part one, Addie, Omar, and Joe were part of a team of students at ASU working on a pulse plasma thruster system for CubeSats during their undergrad degrees. Now, they've all moved on to other things now, but it was really fun to just kick back and swap some old stories for a bit. Now, that being said, this episode does diverge from any technical content and was created more for a student audience, but it's a topic that I felt was very important to put as the focus of an episode. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I started college, I was honestly just incredibly nervous and self-conscious about everything. I was afraid I was going to feel behind because I didn't take engineering-specific classes in high school, I just took math and physics. I wasn't involved in organizations like FIRST Robotics, and I didn't have side hobbies that were related to math and science. So I wasn't exploring these topics on my own time. I did orchestra and I did key club. (laughs) But I decided to just dive right into it and make the best of the situation and pursue what I was passionate in. And between student orgs, the Phoenix CubeSat, and my job at ASU, I've worked with some of the best people I've ever known. College is marketed as a place where you have this wide range of opportunities and the world is your oyster. You just have to go out and get it. But perspectives on the student experience are things that have to be sought out. And unless you talk to people, you don't realize that so many other people are in the exact same position as you. For any students who are out there listening to this, if you feel like you're in the same boat, I truly hope that you find this episode useful or it at least gives you comfort in some way. Now, before we start this conversation, I will say that the four of us are not perfect people. And the techniques that work for us are not necessarily the perfect way for everyone to do things. So if there are things that you disagree with in this episode or other tactics that helped make you successful in managing your time, please feel free to discuss them in the comment section on YouTube, or you can connect with me directly. If we get a lot of these, I'll work on just compiling all of them and putting them somewhere useful for you guys. One final thing that I will mention is that we do talk about a lot of different things in this episode related to being a student. And I know that there may be some parts that are more meaningful to you than others. Now, that being said, I do have timestamps for this episode in the description so you can skip around to the parts that matter the most to you. I know this is a really helpful feature in general, just when listening to podcasts, whether it's for just summarizing the episode or allowing you to go directly to the conversation. So I'll try to incorporate this into future interviews as well. And now that all of that has been said, here is my conversation with Addie, Omar, and Joe on our college experience. One thing that I think is really, you know, good to discuss in terms of in terms of you guys being part of like a, a student organization, a project within a student organization is how you actually got there in the first place. So um, my next question is, is actually how did you guys find SDSL and the PPT project uh, in the first place? And like, what, what really drew you to that to, you know, actually join and then start working and, and what kept you going with the project once you'd actually found it? Because a lot of students also, you know, it's it's hard to find something and then, you know, figure out that it's it's what you really want to do and then kind of stick with it. Um, and especially when things get hard and, and when classes get hard. So 
um, it would be cool to explore that with you guys. Yeah, and on this one, I thought I could go first, and maybe we can all go in like chronological order of when we join, just so there's context. Um, and okay, I found out about SDSL because when I joined ASU, I was looking for space-related stuff because that's all I ever wanted to do. I never wanted to. I wasn't really interested in planes or uh, studying the forces on beams or other stupid things like that. So I was looking for something that had space in it. And so I found Daedalus online, uh, which is this rocketry club at ASU. And then I think there was some mention of the Sunnival Satellite Lab also on the aerospace engineering website. And satellite sounded pretty cool. Um, at the time, I never, even a satellite though, seemed like, oh, it's just a box that goes around the earth. I mean, what, how cool could that be? I don't know. And so, Anyway, it sounded cooler than Daedalus, which was making rockets. And I think I went, um, oh no, yeah. And so I, every year when you, you're in your freshman, you essentially have this orientation where the department head talks to all of you for the first time ever and tells you about your program. And at the end of it, um, this Greg Dykel Chad came out and he started talking about the Sun Devil Satellite Lab. And he was really funny and engaging and um, he really piqued my interest uh, for joining the Sunnival Satellite Lab or SDSO and just hearing about the different projects um, was just fascinating and so I decided to I think go to a club meeting and there on the board they had a whiteboard with a bunch of projects and what they'd been working on and the coolest thing that jumped out to me immediately was pulse plasma thruster which sounds like something from the Jetsons or it, it's it's plasma, it thrusts, it can fly and um, you could probably kill people with it. And it, yeah, it just sounds like the coolest thing. And so I was like, what's that? And they said, oh, that's this project that we have, but it's not, it's not doing well, but it, they're working on it and the team's small, so they probably need people. And yeah, I was a freshman at the time, so I didn't necessarily have I barely had any hands-on experience and but anyway so I decided to sign up for that and I went to started going to the meetings and the meetings too were not as exciting as they could have been I think and we there's the Sentinel Satellite Lab has a workshop sort of warehouse space and unfortunately we none of us on the team had access to it and so uh, we'd meet all of us outside, sit on the steps outside this warehouse and go over that for that week what we'd all been doing for the project. And it was a lot of looking at what materials could be used to build a chassis or um, since this is a plasma thruster, um, it needs to be tested in space-like conditions. And so it needs to be tested in a vacuum chamber, for example, where you suck out all the air and can uh, go down to low pressures. So we needed things uh, materials to build chambers like that. And so, anyways, we go around the room, uh, not the room, we're outside, and go around and realize slowly that no one had actually done anything for that week. And the same thing happened next week. And this gap kept happening again and again. And it goes back to, I think, what you were saying with um, when you're a student, most people prioritize being a student as they probably should. And um, 
it seemed like no one wanted to or had time to do anything else. And, and so, I like how you threw probably in there. Probably <laughs> yeah. <should. laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. I mean, as we will find out on this podcast, maybe I, for one, at least did not make it a priority to do school work because I didn't find it as interesting, but anyway, so yeah, essentially we were a group, but nothing was happening and this kept happening for a month, maybe. And I happened to be walking um, somewhere with the president of SDSO a month later. And I, I was just telling her what had been going on with the project. And um, she said, yeah, it's true. The guy who's leading it is a junior now and he's pretty busy. So do you want to take over? And I said, yeah, I think I have way more time right now and I'm very interested in this project. I, I'd love to. And so this was also when I was a freshman, maybe a, a month later uh, after joining in September or something. And I took over and then as I took over, I don't know how it happened exactly, but I think the guy who was the leader then I think just left the project and then it was me and a few others. And none of the others were too committed anyway. So slowly, slowly they all left and it was essentially just me. And at the same time, I'd met this other guy called Alejandro Martinez and I became really good friends with him in uh, Barrett. Uh, which is the Honors College at ASU. And we uh, really connected on trying to make this project happen. And luckily, again, there's a lot of luck, I think, involved in this whole thing. But we met this amazing professor who just joined ASU called uh, Dr. White, Daniel White. And he uh, himself had done a lot of work on electrical engineering and uh, similar thrusters for his PhD work at MIT. And so I managed to convince him to uh, be my mentor for a FURY project. And FURY is this Fulton undergraduate research initiative thing that sort of, it can give you funding to do the build things as well as uh, provide you opportunities to connect with people in industry and um, you have to make presentations and stuff. So it's a career development thing that helps validate a project and gives it funding and stuff. So that was helpful. And so I applied for that immediately with Dr. White's help. And yeah, for that beginning period, this is going to be a long answer, I know, but a lot of stuff happened. And um, in the beginning, it was, like I said, Alejandro and I, and we would go to the Noble Library, which is the engineering library, and essentially find old papers from the 70s and the 80s about PPDs, which is when these things were invented in Russia. And a lot of them were actually on microfilms. And so you had to request them specially from the Nobel Library and they'd bring out this old dusty thing and you'd be like sneezing, just reading them. And, but it was actually pretty cool because you're actually seeing these copies of Russian texts from a long time ago. And just trying to understand how they worked. And Dr. White was really busy, but he gave us time whenever he could. And um, we came up with a plan for what to do uh, in combination with what I proposed for this Fury project. And um, a few months later, I got the Fury project and then the plan was to work on that in the summer. And then I'm kind of cloudy as to what happened exactly. And I'm hoping when Joe speaks next, he can fill it in. But I think somehow uh, we started putting ads or whatever. Um, oh, and just through the Fulton newsletter and then maybe the Barrett newsletter and at our SDSL general meetings that saying we need new people. And I think Joe saw one of those and 
yeah, I think he should pick up from there. Oh yeah, so from there, how I found out about it, I believe it was either yeah, it was either a flyer or org sync um, that I had first heard about SDSL. Uh, I was kind of researching to get into some different clubs because I had seen you know it was a big thing to put on your resume. It really stood out to employers. Um, you know, just having the degree only goes so far. Um, so I started looking into clubs, and uh, yeah, Sun Devil Satellite Laboratory stood out to me um, as it was more than just like a, a professional sort of club. Um, for example, they had like the AIAA, uh, which was more professional organization type of thing. Um, so I went to one of their general meetings, and um, if memory serves me right, I believe Addie had did a little presentation at the general meeting about the project, um, and it really stood out to me because it was more hands-on actually building something. Um, it wasn't just uh, some of the other projects were kind of like, oh, you launch a rocket and then you gather data as the payload kind of parachutes back down. Um, and whereas the PPT seemed a little more in-depth actual engineering, um, so to speak, uh, more than just kind of, you know, building a little rocket and then going from there. Um, so, yeah, so then I at that point I joined up and I think it was really only Addy at that point who was doing anything on the project. Um, I know that they had some remnants of a, a vacuum chamber that they had started to build, um, but hadn't really gone too far. Um, and so I kind of jumped in on there. Uh, yeah, that's how I got started then in, with the PPT project. And and sorry, and at the same time, did you, it was Tyler and you that joined at the same time, right? Yeah, it was either, either that or Tyler joined like a week or two after, but okay, it was okay. basically like within a month, I would say, of each other. Yeah, so and then we had this sort of core nucleus of the three of us for a while until, and we kept trying to recruit and do more presentations and stuff. And yeah, and then Omar can, uh, for example, give you uh, his account of how he uh, was persuaded by me to join. <laughs> wait, wait, before, before you guys go on, just to give some, I guess, some context as to like, Addy, when your story began, and then Joe, when you came in. So like, the whole... The whole process of like you starting as a freshman and then you know kind of like taking the project on yourself and then um that was like your entire freshman year right because dr white became our advisor in like like the like tail end beginning tail end of the summer beginning of our sophomore year so it was like kind of like a whole year had gone by before um or, okay, well, we'll see if I, did I get this right? Like, did a whole year go by before, like, flyers went out and stuff, and then Joe and Tyler joined? Is that So what I actually think, I don't think Dr. White was the advisor yet when I had joined, um, but I think that was, like, yeah, it was within, I think, by the fall semester after, because I had joined in, at, like, the beginning of spring semester, I believe. Okay. Uh, so I think it was, like, shortly after he had, or he had just okay. become the advisor, but, like, wasn't super hands-on just yet. Spring of 2016, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense because yeah. we made a lot of uh, headway that summer. So I wouldn't say an entire year went by, but at least one semester. Uh, all of fall was spent um, not really doing much when I was just a member. And then after that, trying to get everything together for a few months. And then luckily getting Joe and Tyler the following semester and then planning and gathering materials for at the time I think we were mainly focusing on trying to get the vacuum chamber ready and then and then I applied for the Siri funding and stuff and then and then we worked a lot that summer on it okay 
Yeah. I don't feel like Dr. White became our advisor like after. I don't, I don't know. He may not, I don't, uh, yeah, it's cloudy as to, I think he was the advisor and I'm, I'm not sure who else would, would have been. Yeah, I feel like he was, but he, he it was like he had just become the advisor and he wasn't yeah. super hands-on just yet. Yeah. So it was like he was the advisor, but more name only for like a semester or so. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, I would still meet with him every Oh, but he wasn't like the SDSL advisor yet. I think that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. okay, okay. Yeah. It's all yeah, about so you, isn't it? Yeah. Dr. White was <laughs> like the lead ad faculty advisor for PPT, but then we eventually uh, convinced him yeah. to be the faculty advisor for SDSL. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah. for, I forget... Yeah, I forget exactly how that series of, of events happened, but um, we were very, very fortunate to have him. That's that's for sure. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. so, but, okay, and so. Yeah. Now, if you want, uh, I guess if you went and Omar, <laughs> or just Omar, want to share how how you got onto PPT. Um, so, in high school, I did a lot of. Uh, CAD projects and I also did a aircraft maintenance certification so I got my FAA AMP um, and I really like the hands-on part of mechanical engineering um, and like how all the various parts of the system are made to fit together and accommodate um, any of the various needs um, and I knew I wanted to do research as soon as I got to ASTU, but I was thinking I was going to do like a rocketry project. I heard about Daedalus, and so um, I just kind of, I was going to go to that, but in the welcome week, um, when they were giving tours out at Barrett, Addy was one of the tour guides, so, um, and he had like the aerospace sign, um, and where he'd talk about things related to aerospace about ASU while we walked around campus. And so that's how I heard about SDSL and PPT and um, especially considering how small the project seemed to be, um, it seemed like a good opportunity to kind of grow something. Um, not necessarily like ground up, but to really be able to jump in to a project. Um, wholeheartedly and the idea after the first couple of uh, that general meeting and then the first um, PPT specific meeting um, I'd heard about um, Fury and I knew I wanted to do that so after talking to Dr. White just our first conversation I just got the application together and um, then that ended up being accepted for my whole sophomore year um, which, yeah. So that just got me deeper into the project. So I stayed with it for a while. And yeah, and that also relating to what you said in the beginning about keeping people interested in stuff, that was something I tried to encourage from the beginning, um, which was to, as soon as people join, we tried to find ways for them to, again, sort of validate their research and. Uh, this project by applying for things like Fury or NASA Space Grant or funding through the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences because I, as I found over the course of the last four, five, six years at ASU, 
there's literally everything you'd ever want here. You just have to go and find it and ask for it. And that could be in terms of funding or help in any way. And Fury was one of those things. And by getting, if you applied to it, then it sort of forced you to commit to uh, the project and then also getting things done on a schedule. And then of course it helped you hopefully in your career as well. So yeah, so I'm glad Omar uh, applied. Yeah, I think, no, I think those are all like very good reasons. And I, I saw people, you know, join projects for very similar ones myself. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like, like Joe, what you were saying, you know, you're, you can take all of these classes, but if you have like a 4.0 GPA and you have no practical experience, then it's, it makes actually going into the workplace so much harder for you because even though like you have all of this, you know, very technical background knowledge from class, like you, all of the stuff that you learn about how to actually do these projects is in, is in actually joining a project. A lot of what you really learn are soft skills, which are, you know, some of the most important things that you really don't learn in class at all. Um, you know, things like how to work with people, even how to ask questions and go about solving problems when you don't really know how to, you know, debug an issue or design something. Um, you don't really do a lot of that in class. And so, um, you know, becoming part of these projects is really, really important. I guess to, to kind of segue off of this discussion, did you guys feel, so I guess one thing that I've, I've also seen from people is that, you know, when you're a freshman, you're just very nervous about everything. And some things you don't feel like you're qualified to join or qualified to do because you don't have the same technical background as an engine or someone who's studying engineering, but they're a junior. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times people feel like this and really they shouldn't because you join these projects in the first place and people don't expect you to know anything. You join these projects to learn everything you need to learn. Um, so I guess my question for you guys is, you know, kind of going into PPT or, you know, just joining SDSL in general, did you still kind of, did you feel that way at all? Um, or, you know, did you see similar things in other people? Did you have to like convince people along the way, um, you know, that, that, that they didn't need to be afraid to kind of like get their hands dirty, um, especially like you, Addy, with with leading, you know, with leading the project and, and probably heading recruitment and everything too. Um, I, I would imagine you mm -hmm. probably saw a lot of that. Yeah, um, yeah, that that was very common. And but I think my experience with joining the project in the beginning and then quickly seeing that all these juniors and people who were more experienced than I were we're not really any different. And I think it's all just a facade in general and that people put up. And I quickly realized that it's just about figuring things out. And that's the essence of doing research or engineering or science. And you don't need to, of, of course, having skills is very useful and important, but the, that just supplements being able to figure things out quickly and efficiently and in, often in teams in, in these sorts of projects. And so, yeah, I was never cowed by um, leading or joining the project. And it was just 
yeah, all very exciting. And I wanted to find more people who could help me uh, do it, and which involved obviously Dr. White. And, and then the, the other two on this call are, they're like one of, or two of the legendary teammates that we were, we had. And um, it's hard to like fathom how amazing they both are at what they do. Um, and yeah, like Omar is easily the best, I think, CAD and mechanical design engineer I've ever seen. And, and Joe is the most amazing like engineer with actually building things and also designing things I've ever seen. And not that I've seen like so many people, but um, I just, over the last four or five years, you would just show them anything and they could do it. And, but on the flip side, like you were saying, lots of people joined and they were afraid that, oh, I'm a freshman, I've never, I haven't taken that class and uh, I don't know what that means. And they were afraid of um, getting their hands dirty in terms of, um, we always had a butcher's knife and no, but uh, they, yeah, they were afraid of actually um, committing fully and trying to figure things out on their own. And often you'd, uh, we'd, we'd say from the beginning that this is research and if we already knew what we were doing, it'd be done. And so the whole point of joining and trying to do this is figuring it out. It sounds easy, but it, it's actually, it, for a lot of people it's not. And it, it, it involves a lot of looking things up and asking around and um, not actually knowing the answer, which I think makes people uncomfortable and they almost expect you to go in for a job and then get a list of instructions and then follow them. But most often that's not the case. And yeah, so we, we would have lots of people join in the beginning or all throughout the project quickly realize that there were no instructions. They had to figure out how to, um, let's say, make something out of tungsten and then made it to a copper uh, ring, which I had never done before. And they'd ask me and I'd say, I don't know, look it up, ask someone, uh, ask a professor, do something, call a company. And all of those things are like these soft skills you were talking about that uh, if you're in a class, you often, like in an engineering class, some, the professor will do some problems in front of you. You see how the problems are done and then they'll give you a, a sort of synthesized version of that problem for your homework where you combine different aspects, but it's never, it's unless it's a project, um, you're not really just going off and trying to figure it out on your own because that, that's hard to do for homework because it might take a year and yeah, you'd fail. So um, yeah, but that's why it's very different and very useful and trying to uh, convince people that they could do it and it didn't matter who they were and what experience they had before was definitely a challenge, but um, we managed to, I think, keep a core group of people convinced and then it's, and then they convinced themselves that they could do it and then they did it. So, yeah, I don't know if you guys had other perspectives. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll jump in here and, and I'll just say that, um, I mean, like, I, I guess I didn't really feel too intimidated or anything when I had started, um, even though, you know, I was new and all that kind of 
uh, stuff, but uh, I kind of entered with with a certain set of skills, uh, mostly like hands-on sort of fabrication and, you know, fixing mechanical systems, you know, working with my hands more so. Uh, but one of the big skills that I actually did really pick up from this uh, project that I didn't actually see um, anybody really teaching in the classroom was, um, as Addie had mentioned, just going out and finding what your answer. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff is like, okay, here's your textbook, and you can look through there to see examples. Um, but I mean, it's it's the kind of thing I I never experienced anything with vacuum systems or vacuum chambers or anything before starting this. And I mean, I guess I, I became like a basic expert in vacuum systems um, just by doing research in that. And um, as Addie had mentioned too, some you know we had some students that would come in, um, they would join a, a specific. Uh, group of part of the project, little subset, um, and then work on that. And some of them didn't feel comfortable. I know that there's one student that um, I was trying to get to learn the vacuum system. And every time he'd come to the meetings and that, and he'd just be like, oh, sorry, you know, I don't really know anything. And I just had to keep telling him, like, I, I didn't know anything about this either before I joined. You just have to kind of, you know, jump in and start researching and looking up uh, different things, you know, calling companies, calling, you know, finding professors that are experts in it on campus and kind of talking to them. And uh, I mean, just through that, I was able to uh, connect with a professor on campus who um, did film, uh, thin film metal deposition uh, there on campus. And he actually taught a uh, vacuum system training course that I was able to take um, to get more you know, uh, real world knowledge and skills about vacuum systems. So yeah, it's definitely, I think it definitely helps to add additional skills to your toolbox that um, you're just not going to really get in a classroom setting. Um, to add to that, um, to everything that was just said, uh, two things. One, Addie, I really appreciate what you said about Joe and I. Um, and I I definitely feel that your drive and adaptability was something that was extremely important to getting this project going. Like anything that was slow, you'd be able to switch gears and just jump into it and figure out how to progress that part of the project and be able to push those that were on those respective parts of a project to um, feel the urgency to take initiative because it wasn't going to come from anywhere else. Um, because like we were who were working on the project. Um, but yeah, and especially early on um, with mostly aerospace and mechanical students on the project, the EE um, side um, was something that you were able to really establish a foundation for, along with Dr. White, of course, um, and kind of set that up for the later growth of the project. Um, and the second thing I wanted to add was that in any of these projects, um, uh, like student projects or any other type of research to get into it, the first thing you need to do joining a project as a freshman is to learn how to learn um, and to understand that we're all learning as we go and that doesn't end when we graduate and that doesn't change for a master's student on the project or a PhD student everyone is still learning as they go and um, you get out of anything what you put into it um, 
And that is something that needs to be understood early. Um, and I think what comes with that is the confidence to be able to go out there and talk to more people and reach out to professors that can provide subject matter um, input that would be valuable to reach out to other students, whether they've worked on something similar or um, even inviting more to join the project. Um, and the value, and I guess another third point would be um, a great value of working on any kind of hands-on experience like this is that you learn how to interact um, with not just other students in a meeting or just other people in meetings, but to be able to pick up where someone else left off, to kind of ask yourself the critical questions to be able to get a picture of what's important about a design to then move forward. And there are a lot of general questions that you can ask one between one project versus another. And that is a very important skill, especially when starting out as a new intern, um, to be able to provide um, input when you're brand new on as to what you don't understand and being clear about how to communicate your understanding of, what, of whether it's subject matter or the heritage of one component or another, or even just what someone said to you five minutes ago, just not being afraid to go and out and make it clear where you are and what you need to be able to move forward. And um, along with that, understanding the balance between the input you need to have from other people as well as the initiative that you need to take, where, where you draw that line and when it's appropriate to move that line is something that you only really learn um, with experience just jumping into things and accepting that you want to fail early, fail small, so that you can learn all these small lessons as you go and kind of have some tangible experience associated with those lessons to kind of hold on to as you progress, whether you're an engineer or a scientist um, or in any other field. All right, I'm, I'm done rambling. <laughs> uh, that was a little abstract thing, I guess, but. Um, no, no, it's yeah. good. No, those, those are, I mean, all of those were fantastic points. Um, you know, you, you guys are all right. You, you know, um, call it, it's, college is really not a place where you should feel comfortable. <laughs> it's very much a place where you should feel uncomfortable and face your fears and then grow in all of the ways that you guys mentioned whether you know it, it be with with asking questions and 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 working with people and understanding um 
seek the answers that you need in order to help the entire team move forward. Um, all of that isn't stuff that you're going to get from a class. Um, and all of that is stuff that makes you uncomfortable, but it's, it's all of those qualities that also help you grow and become an actual engineer as opposed to just, you know, being able to regurgitate uh, homework problems and, and things of that nature. Um, I mean, of course, those will help you too. I don't, <laughs> um, I don't mean this episode to downplay your classes at all. <laughs> um, yeah, what we're saying is drop out now. Look at what Mark Zuckerberg did. Yeah. Avoid them as much as you can. I would, I would say to play off of that a little too. Um, don't necessarily, like Sarah saying, don't downplay them. Um, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. You, yes, the, the classes are important because when you get out in the real world, no one's going to teach you basic calculus. Nobody's going to teach you basic structures. So you need to know that. But at the same time, you know, to get an actual engineering job, you kind of need to have some of those outside skills that, uh, you know, designing or, you know, 3D printing or, you know, something extra to kind of stand out from just, I have my degree and I took the same classes as everybody else. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to add to that as well. Um, a big thing to get the most out of um, an experience in college, especially starting new, um, is to recognize the opportunities that are there. Um, because like Addy said, there's a ton of resources that are available to students that if they went out and looked, they'd be able to find. Um, and I guess for myself, I just kind of looked at what kinds of skills can I build up um, alongside my classes. So classes are very important. Um, so as we um, have just kind of mentioned earlier, but it, they're different skills than these other skills that you can use. And um, to build off of um, what Joe and um, Sarah just said as well, and um, you, you want to be able to feel comfort in diversifying yourself. And what comes with that is having that sense of accountability and adaptability that goes along with um, seeing the value in the courses, seeing the value in just the free software that ASU gives you access to as a student and all the licensing that comes with that. Like you can just take tutorials and learn something and you have plenty of like faculty and other people around you to be able to learn from as well. And having that open mind to kind of treat everything as a learning experience and to reevaluating where you're at and trying not to get too complacent and to kind of put yourself out there would be a big takeaway. Cause uh, like we've mentioned, um, we're all learning as we go and that never really stops. So but yeah, no, all of all of those are, are, are really good points um, to kind of continue with the, you know, the theme of being a student and being involved in these projects. One of the hardest things is learning how to really balance your time between being a student and dedicating time to your classes, because as we as 
we've we've been trying to say <laughs> or uh you know classes are still important um but then you know when you're really invested in these projects it's very easy to get caught up in them and dedicate a little bit too much time to them and then fall behind in, in other places so my question for you guys is what was it like for you guys balancing this project especially you know with trying to kind of grow it from the ground up with everything else related to being a student and having to to manage classes and homework and you know everything else that that came up along the way yeah i think it is a it's not an easy challenge and i don't know if i'm not speaking for everyone else but i don't know if anyone like any of us really had the ideal balance um i think at the end of the day you in life and stuff in general you do sort of prioritize things and uh for me personally at least like i mentioned before um unfortunately or fortunately i'll find something interesting and then i'll work on that more and so in my case i found many things interesting and then i this was one of the this project was one of them and i i joined a few other projects and which were and none of them were really related to each other and so i was learning a lot um but then I think when I was a junior, um, yeah, I think, or I think when I was a junior, I can't remember, either a junior or sophomore, I was also then a community assistant in the dorms, which is where I gave Omar the dorms um, for that. Uh, and that's how he joined. But I was doing that and then I was a student obviously, and then I was doing four or five other lab projects, all in different labs. And, and then that's when I failed my first class and my only class um and so obviously i didn't get the balance right because i failed and so uh yeah i think that's something very important to be considered about because like we're also trying to say um classes are very important uh and unfortunately their your gpa is like the first level of uh a filter that lots of jobs would look at and use or, or jobs or even grad school. Like when I was applying to Caltech a few years ago, they told me they wouldn't even consider my application no matter what else I'd done because my GPA was too low. I graduated with a 3.4 and they wanted like GPAs higher than that, like 3.6 or something. So uh, yeah, it's important to make sure that you're balancing out your time. And even though classwork may not be as fun, it's still, um, I want to say, unfortunately important because, yeah, like Joe said, it does provide you with the fundamentals. And even though it seems annoying, it's un it's hard to know what will be useful one day and which can make you want to take all kinds of classes. And some of those can be very hard. And if you take them a lot of them at the same time, then it's hard to do them all especially in aerospace engineering, I think. Um, however, learning all of those things uh, can give you all these skills that you may not need uh, in the near term, but might come up later on. And you might think, oh yeah, I, I took those turbulence classes and that's happening with me, for example, right now, I'm, I'm studying uh, how turbulence occurs on Mars over ice on Mars. And 
I studied some level of turbulence and airflow in my undergrad. And at the time, I thought it was interesting, but not incredibly fascinating. And I still don't think it's incredibly fascinating, but it's, it is proving to be useful um, in applying it to this completely uh, tangential application. And so, yeah, again, I, I guess the summary is, yeah, the balance is hard, but try and do it. And in terms of techniques, maybe I won't be the best person to talk about how to do that, but I know people, obviously, if you have uh, a calendar and a schedule, you can try and actually manage your hours. I never did that. Uh, I would just do 40 hours one week and then five hours the next week, depending on what needed to be done. Um, yeah, and it never, I know one of your questions later on was like, how did it affect your sleep? I value my sleep a lot, so it never affected my sleep. I always slept eight hours. Uh, but I, yeah, if it affected my classwork, it, it might have. Sometimes I may have sacrificed thinking about my homework an extra hour because I didn't want to do it. Whereas uh, working on PPD or something for Phoenix or something else was way more interesting. Yeah, and I guess to, to piggyback off of, uh, you know, some of the things you were, you were talking about um, and still going off of why classes are important, you know, when you're reviewing a design or you're trying to figure out why something doesn't work, um, you're going to be grateful that you have that that really good background in, you know, what your degree is in and, and, and in physical processes and and how over what goes into those overlying concepts of whatever you're doing, whether it be structural or, um, you know, something related to vibrations. Um, so that's that's really where um, you know, like, like we were saying, soft, soft skills are important, but, but that's why your, your core classes really do matter is because it may not seem like, oh, you know, I'm not going to solve this exact problem when I'm out in the industry. Well, the, the core concepts that you learn from all of those are always going to apply. Um, you may never have to draw a free body diagram, but you should know what goes into everything that, that you are looking at, essentially. Um, and that also goes into the the whole concept of, you know, everyone really does need to be a systems engineer of sorts because everyone checking over something is how you you find holes and, and how you prevent things from breaking in the first place. So, Which unfortunately is not the case. And we would often find, or at least I would find, since I was kind of the systems engineer, I would, like Omar was saying earlier, my job or what became my job was We'd have a meeting where everyone was working on different things like Joe was working on, on his vacuum stuff. Omar was leading the cat team. Someone else was doing the electrical stuff. And what I would do is, I know now we're talking about PPD stuff, but uh, I would go around the room and then ask people, hey, what are you working on? And then they'd say, I'm trying to build a circuit to get a certain voltage and I, I'm stuck. And then I would have to think back to what we learned in electrical classes, because luckily aerospace engineering is pretty broad and we take a variety of classes. And then I grew up in India where the education level was very also uh, high and also very diverse. And so that was very useful. And yeah, and then I draw on, try and draw on that and help them figure something out and then walk over to the CAD group and try and figure that out. But conversely, 
you I, I would see that people who were working on the electrical area, uh, even though they were building something that had to go into a chassis that the mechanical people were building, the, the thought of uh, how those things would interface or how their role and their product was going to work with the other teams did so much uh, affect their process necessarily. And yeah, ideally, yes, it'd be, it'd be nice if everyone was like a, a type of systems engineer and thinking about the whole project, but yeah, it doesn't happen, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I can do my uh, sort of, I guess, life uh, balance um, part when I was going. Um, so I was actually in a similar boat to Addie um, where I didn't quite get it right at the beginning um, to the point where I actually ended up having to change my major. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I, I didn't really, I, I guess I didn't find some of the classes as interesting or didn't put as much effort into them because of that. Um, on the other hand, though, um, I, I do think that it was nice to be part of the club in that sense that like, cause we had our meetings on Saturdays. Um, so it was kind of like, you'd always get to look forward to, you know, getting together with everybody and just doing something a little different, something that you wanted to do. It was kind of a nice little break that you got to look forward to every week. Um, but yeah, again, to kind of reiterate about how the classes are definitely still important. Um, in my current job right now, um, I've actually started recently working on a, a fluid dynamics project, um, uh, working closely with my boss, who's an interventional radiologist, and um, and just looking, starting to learn the software and how the, the, the fluids are flowing and that, and remembering, oh, I remember in my applied PDE class, yeah, we did that. Okay, I remember how that works now. Um, and just kind of understanding sort of the basic fundamentals of it has helped me uh, move forward with that project a, a lot quicker, I think, than somebody who maybe has never had that sort of experience or uh, really been able to see that sort of thing um, in a classroom setting beforehand. And are these like alcoholic fluids or what sort of fluids are we talking about? Uh, it's blood flow through aneurysms. So, if only we could see them <laughs> in a podcast. Uh, I can post like a video or something. <laughs> a blood flow through an aneurysm? Sounds nasty. It's basically just a bunch of lines, so it's not like you're actually seeing the the real blood. It's just the the console simulation of it. <laughs> Omar, did you want to add to the? Yeah, uh, I'd say like I had a similar experience with that balance between classes and other work and other learning other things as well. Um, and life outside of school too. Um, and I guess my approach for the first couple of semesters, I just kind of did whatever was in front of me and, uh, wasn't very, um, organized, but I was able to get a lot done, but not having that foresight even two weeks ahead of something um, really uh, made it tough on like my courses as well. Um, like I only graduated with a three, three, um, but I feel like what really helped me address that was making and updating regular lists for 
um, any categories of things I needed to do um, and really paying attention to what I had in that week and thoroughly scheduling everything, um, which I did kind of later on in college um, to be able to fit as much as I could in while still recognizing in a more visual way the kinds of chunks of time um, getting some of these assignments um, done would be or even these other distractions that I would have like just in life um, that like realizing how much time you're actually spending on anything is is something that's important to recognize um, and then that's like that first step to drawing that balance and figuring out what you want to prioritize and where you want to go then you can choose your path and the projects and the courses um, that you really want to emphasize um, but then also know what your minimum is in terms of your own personal ability um, and that's something that I didn't really figure out until like the end of sophomore year. So I hit my wall sophomore year. Um, I know a lot of people hit their wall at some point, um, but it's something that everyone, um, I don't know about, it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, and, the way to address it is to just reevaluate yourself, what kinds of habits, how you take your notes, how do you, um, how do you track your time? How, how easily do you get distracted? Um, like for me, I'll just be walking somewhere and just see someone I know and just start talking, even though I'm like going to be late for something <laughs> that I'm supposed to attend or whatnot. Um, yeah, I suppose that's a minor example, but. No, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, I mean, knowing your own personal limitations is, is probably one of, it's one of the hardest things to really define, um, but it's, it's so important. And, and, and like you were saying, even the whole, you know, concept of just constantly reevaluating yourself to make sure that you are, you're trying to address you know, a lot of those inefficiencies that you have that are holding you back from either doing a little bit better in class or to being able to devote more time to those projects that you really care about. Um, that's, that's a really hard thing to, to kind of narrow down. Like for me personally, that was one thing, well, I guess I'll back up a little bit because that's, that's one thing that I've seen with a lot of, a lot of people is that, you know, they tend to try to dip their toe in a little bit of everything. And it's, you know, it, it's a little bit too much. And like you were saying, you only learn as much as you're going to put into something. Um, and so, you know, you, you can devote everything, all of your resources to this, this one thing and really learn a lot from it. Or you can do a bunch of little things, kind of learn a lot from all of them, but you know, not as in depth as, as maybe you could have, maybe that helps you find, you know, whatever it is that you're really interested in. 
um, but it also makes life really difficult. So finding that that whole balance is is really is hard. Um, and I, I don't think anyone, well, I, I, <laughs> I don't really know a lot of people that have gotten this formula perfectly right. Um, I think really, at least from my experience, I think the best things that you can do are, you know, kind of some of the things that you were talking about, Omar, is, is having as best foresight as possible. So like, for me, for instance, if I know an exam, like, at the beginning of the semester, I'll write down all of my exam dates. And then like two weeks prior to the exam, I'll write like a reminder for myself, hey, you have an exam in two weeks or something. Um, and then I know to kind of study and I, I, I try to think ahead on things like that um, to, to help gauge my time and then, you know, where I, where I devote my resources. Um, and then prioritizing too is, is always, um, is always important. Um, what actually, you know, if kind of going off of this, this whole time management thing, I, I just read a really great book and shout out to Craig Knobloch for recommending this to me. Um, but it's called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And in it, they do go over a lot of really critical. So the whole book is, it, it's, it's dedicated to people who you know, you have this one goal, or maybe you have like a bunch of goals that, that you want to achieve for, for different areas of your life, whether it be professional or personal, you know, school related, what have you. Um, and then within all of those things, you have a bunch of stuff to do, but there's one thing that's more important than all of those other ones. And if you do that one thing, it's going to make everything else, you know, completely unnecessary or easier. Um, and so the the book talks about how to break down your your time management strategy um so that way you can focus on that one thing that you really want to do and you can be very efficient at that one thing um so like some of some of the the points that they talk about in there are things like time blocking so making sure that you're reserving certain chunks of time for um whatever tasks that you need to do so like if you work on, you know, the, the one thing that really matters most to you first thing in the morning for four hours and you, you block out all distractions, like get rid of messenger, get rid of your phone, um, and make sure that everyone else knows that during that four hour time period, like you're not available. Um, I won't, I don't want to go too into the weeds with this book. <laughs> um, but it, it was really, really good. And it's definitely worth a read if you, you know, if, if you're looking you know, just to learn something about how other people kind of apply their, their time management skills. Um, so the one thing by Gary Keller, highly recommend. Very, very good book. I think one thing I wanted to add um, from what we were just talking about is I was a type of student to often pull like all-nighters, um, just kind of whenever. Um, and I drink a lot of like energy drinks, have a lot of caffeine. Um, and one thing I would like to emphasize is that health and wellness is important. Um, you can do what you want to do. Um, you can do what you want to do better and a lot more effectively when setting that time to rest. And sure, there are times where 
the value of whatever you're doing in that moment might trump getting a little extra rest. But it's best to be conscious of avoiding putting yourself in that situation. Um, and even if it seems really achievable early on, and perhaps it might be, um, it's a habit that is less rewarding the more you're trying to achieve because um, you really aren't performing at your best when you don't allow yourself to kind of take appropriate times off. <laughs> yeah, I, I will agree with this very heavily. So, I mean, like between trying to balance school and then working on Phoenix, like my strategy was let's sleep four hours a day because this makes sense. And is, is very healthy, both emotionally, mentally, and physically. Um, and yeah, and you know, people would ask me like, how do you, you know, how do you manage all of that? And so like, well, I never said I did it very well. I just, you know, I just do it. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't effective. Like, you know, you sleep four hours a day. I made so many mistakes. Like I, you know, I'd go back and I'd look over my homework and I, made really stupid mistakes with like arithmetic or you know was solving the problem in a way that didn't even make sense um and it, it slows you down too like i you know you're because you're just tired and your your body cannot it's not very good at handling that stress and it doesn't matter how how long you make a habit out of sleeping you know four hours a day or whatever um, it, all of that catches up to you because you are, we are human beings. We are not cyborgs yet. <laughs> Elon Musk has not, <laughs> um, you know, I'll cut that out. That doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, like you're, you know, we're not robots or anything. We're, we're human beings and, and your body is natural and it, and it needs rest. So, um, yeah, like you guys were saying, definitely don't sacrifice health um, and, and sleep just to try to get more stuff done. Like, like Nietzsche said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But what he failed to stress was that it almost kills you. So that's important. Yeah. But yeah, rest is very important because, yeah, like you just said, you can't work efficiently without it. And I think a lot of people forego that as a like, oh, it's just... I'm losing time by resting, but you're not. You're actually working at 40% the brain power and efficiency by working on 40% of the sleep. So, yeah. Yeah, my personal experience with that kind of thing too is that I, I find myself personally, if I don't get enough sleep, I end up getting sick. I'll get a cold or something. And then I end up losing one or two days. I just don't feel like doing anything. So it's like, okay, I could sleep for eight hours or I can lose 48 hours down the road. So it just kind of comes down to what you're willing to trade off at that point. That's only because you're weak. Exactly. I've been training myself, Eddie. Mm -hmm. The trick is to get sick as often as you can. <laughs> Yeah, don't take Addy's advice, uh, apparently. <laughs> Addy's here for entertainment purposes right. only. 
Okay. So I guess last question that I want to ask about, you know, kind of being a student and then roping things for PPT in with everything else that you guys had going on in your life is, you know, what are kind of the best ways to adjust your schedule or, or make a schedule for something, given the fact that you're students and, and you, you have all of these other things going on in your life. So with Phoenix, for example, it's like we have to deliver something at some point because it has to launch. Um, whereas, you know, if PPT was, was much more of a research project, but you guys did have some push, for example, from, you know, when you guys had your collaboration with JPL, um, you know, you, you have, you have to meet some milestones because you have to show things to people. Um, so how, what did your schedule look like based on that? And then how did you guys have to kind of, you know, um, move things around in the schedule based on being students and, and having to, you know, conform with the academic timeline and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, when we first started the project, there wasn't a strict schedule per se, apart from um, sort of restrictions or uh, deadlines that were imposed on us via projects like Fury. And so initially it was more um, deadlines that came through uh, research projects that we ourselves had signed up for as team members and then where you had uh, when you applied for the project you gave a tentative schedule of you're gonna for example the first one i can think of is getting the vacuum system ready and so we um that was during the summer i think a lot of it and then maybe slightly after that and however yeah as a team overall anytime there was a hold up it was usually because someone had class or was busy. And in some cases you can try and get around it by spreading the work around, but after, most of the time the work was pretty specific. And so chances are there's only one person who can do that stuff. And then in an emergency, then someone like me would have to uh, jump in, try and learn what they were doing and then do it. But uh, sometimes you couldn't do help it and it would just get pushed back by some amount of weeks. And we did luckily have teams. And so uh, usually there, it wasn't just one person who could do a specific thing, then at least be one more. And I've heard this even on um, NASA missions where they always try and, you're, they encourage you to try and essentially have a buddy where there's always one other person who knows everything you know so that if you die in a car crash, they can replace you, which is sounds morbid, but it's it's very useful on space missions that are uh, mission critical. Some, if it's all in your head, that's not doesn't um, need requirements. You need another head, and yeah. So um, yeah, that and and then later on. So and then we had J JPL collaboration where yes, we had a more sort of strict schedule. They weren't going to kill us if we didn't do something on time, but uh, we felt we didn't feel great if we weren't meeting those deadlines. And we made those deadlines on purpose to push ourselves to get them done. So, yeah, it was a lot of me uh, chasing people up and saying, if you're stuck with it, let's meet during the week and uh, sort it out. And yeah, apart from, I guess, junior year, in terms of classes, I never found 
I find it strange when, I mean, everyone has their own situation, of course, family-wise, life-wise, but luckily I didn't have uh, too much going on where it did my like life outside of work and all that prevented me from uh, scheduling, scheduling, I mean, like going into the warehouse anytime I wanted and working there for five, six hours. And yeah, because I guess that could eat into my fun time, but my fun time was also working on this stuff. So which was, it was fun. So yeah, luckily I didn't have that problem, but I know, yeah, some people have other commitments and things like that. So it's not easy to balance everything. And they would typically inform us, hopefully in the beginning that they have this other work so they can only commit a few hours. And then we'd have to then in our uh, giant, in the beginning mental schedule uh, factor that in. And then later on, I think when Omar came in and then also we had written this big NASA proposal uh, for which we had to make a Gantt chart and really structure everything. We did make a more detailed schedule, but we didn't, It again, because it wasn't flying on anything, we weren't held to that schedule. And um, yeah, we'd often miss lots of deadlines and stuff, but it, a lot, and the biggest thing as you face too with Phoenix is the procurement. Uh, that takes a lot of time and it, it's surprising for maybe uh, people to hear this, but yeah, just getting parts for things takes a very, very long time. And if there's a mistake, it takes even more time. And yeah, that would often be a big holdup. And yeah, you just have to work around it and yeah. Yeah, I would say with the, uh, especially with the JPL collaboration, um, our kind of, with the scheduling, it wasn't so much um, like super hard and fast that we have to meet these deadlines. It was more so they, uh, that we had them available. We had actual NASA engineers at our disposal to answer any questions and that. And so basically if we could hit a certain goal, get to a certain point, have a certain system up and running, we could kind of, you know, throw ideas at them and use their knowledge and skills to uh, get better, get a better idea of where to move forward from there. Um, with my personal schedule, I, so I actually lived off campus a considerable distance, so I commuted in, um, and I kind of based my class schedule around that as well. So I was only going into class uh, two days a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, but uh, my last class was done about 4 p.m., and I didn't want to sit in traffic for two hours, so then I could go in and work on at the warehouse on uh, continuing you know, working on the vacuum system or anything else that needed to get done. Um, so I was able to kind of really build my schedule based off of, uh, you know, my own personal situation of, you know, I have to drive considerable distance, so I don't want to make a bunch of trips. Um, and then we also had one sort of main day, which was Saturdays. Uh, we would meet everybody, basically all the teams would get together. Um, and so then we could work on anything we needed to and kind of move forward from there and see what everybody had gotten done during the week. Yeah, that was the reason for choosing Saturday. Um, it, of course, it's not. There's no day or time that's ideal for everyone, but we hope that by making it a weekend, you could separate this project from your classes and really just work on it at least while you were there, and then ideally work on whatever tasks you had in between as well. But yeah, that was the rationale. We'd meet at noon on Saturdays and for typically a few hours and depending on what was there to do, sometimes we'd stay longer to four or five. 
Yeah, and I would, I'd say just to throw on top of that, um, for new students working on projects or joining clubs and that, is to kind of build your build an actual schedule and stick to it. Um, so like I said, I was just in a situation where, you know, it was either sit in traffic for two hours or go work on the project. So I decided to go work on the project. Um, so don't just kind of be like, oh, maybe Thursday I'll run in and do something and that. If, if it's something you want to push forward and move forward and see progress, then yeah, definitely say, okay, you know, this day I'll spend X amount of time or, you know, I've got a break in between classes I can run over and, you know, do some work on that. Yeah, time blocking. One thing is not a sponsor on this book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm not being sponsored by Gary Keller. <laughs> I just like the book. Um, but yeah, those that is that is a very good point. Is it, you know, can being consistent in, in trying to be very methodol method. I'm gonna screw this up. Method methodological. <laughs> Did I get that right? Methodological. Uh, methodological. Methodical. Methodological. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word you're trying to say. Having. Yeah, what are you trying having, to say? I don't know. Just Who are you? Being, being st structuring your week is probably one of the, the best things that you can do. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't always stay that way. Like things fall apart all the time. Um, or, you know, sometimes you're, you're working on something and you're trying to debug it and you don't really know what the next day is going to look like. Um, but just, you know, do do your best and try to be as disciplined with your time as, as you possibly can. And that's what really helps you stay on top of things. And that, and then just, you know, when you're there, really be there, um, really be focused and, and really be paying attention to whatever's going on. And I don't know, things, things will be more efficient that way. You will learn a lot more that way. Um, I don't know that, I mean, from my experience, that's, that's, how I can speak to it anyway. Yeah, and ask questions, which Omar was saying a while ago. Um, lots of people would join projects and sometimes they'd be freshmen or things like that and feel like they didn't have the authority to even ask questions. But uh, you, I think it's you have to because, and make sure you understand what the heck is happening. Because if you don't, then you're devaluing yourself already because you don't know what's happening. So how can you help if you don't know what's happening? And if you don't ask any questions, how will you ever know? Right. So, I mean, it's like you, it's like what you were saying in the beginning, Addy, you know, we're all, when you get to college, it's, and even out in the industry, it's, it's a bunch of people trying to solve problems. And, you know, sometimes no one really knows what, what they're doing. You're just trying to all do it the best that you can using your knowledge as best as you can. Um, there's no reason to bang your head against a wall for, for hours on something when, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there are people who are willing to help you. You just have to ask for it. Um, no one's going to think that you're stupid for asking a question. They're, they're really not, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, but so, but if you don't ask it, then you're, you're just making it harder for yourself. Um, it's, yeah, you it's mm -hmm. like, you know, life is, it's hard as it is, and there's there's a lot of complexities to everyday life, and it can be so much less. You know, it, it can it can be so much less crappy <laughs> if you, you know, if you get rid of a lot of. It can be so much less crappy if you, 
if you don't per if you don't so like, hold yourself back. Yeah. So the next time you're in at Safeway looking for those chocolate mint cookies, just ask the cashier where they are and not spend hours looking for them because chances are they're there. And you just have to ask for it and save time. And kind of a, to piggyback onto that is the fact that it, somebody has done it already. That That's a big thing is that 90% of the stuff you're gonna work on, someone's already done it. Um, so being a uh, the youngest out of, out of three siblings, um, my older sisters, they had already basically done all like the, your standard sort of school stuff, applying to college, getting financial aid. So it was like, I already kind of knew what I was getting into and what I needed to do because they had already done it before. Um, so there's resources out there, just find somebody you know that knows what's going on, kind of has already kind of done it, um, so to speak. But, yeah. And that's kind of what you're doing now. Uh, you're Sarah. Now you're a resource for other CubeSat teams to build cubes, more CubeSats, and um, they're going out and taking the step by asking you these questions. Um, and like, luckily, you're there to help them. Uh, but and it's it's really, like yeah, I'm just trying to say it's really good that they're asking you those questions because if they did, then it would not help them. It, it can only help by asking questions. Like, even though you're misleading them, it, it still helps them. Yeah. Wait, so you're, that you're misleading them? What? Oh, because I'm nodding? No, yes. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just nodding because, okay. because, no, I'm <laughs> because <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding because we're having a conversation and I'm like, yes. I, I, I can see where you're going with that. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm misleading all of you. None of this information is useful. I think I wanted to take a step back when um, we were talking about scheduling for a project and just a couple of summary points um, based on some things that we've learned. Um, having that one general meeting sometimes might invite work to just be done during the meeting um, and not have that sense of accountability really spread through the respective parts of the project and those are part of it. Um, and like that is more of a system or a symptom of that system more than I, I think it is inherent with anyone a part of a project. Um, and I think that, like was touched upon, um, maintaining multiple lines of dialogue is really important um, and can really help um, be more aware of what can be done in parallel, what people on different parts of the, a project are really waiting on as a cue to then move on to another segment of their work and always trying to be on that same page and really pushing the dialogue, checking up with everyone. Um, but also in a smaller format, because sometimes it might not seem to an individual that like certain details are important for the whole general meeting, um, but they might be. So, having 
having breakout meetings with respective groups, whether it's task-based or, um, or just role-based kinds of groups um, is extremely useful. And to make that happen, combination of like when to meet um, and using a calendar like Google Calendar um, is really useful. And for, I guess, moving forward, now that everyone's familiar with video conferencing, um, utilizing those tools um, is something that can really help specific types of meetings um, and types of discussions that can be planned a little bit more rapidly. Um, and along with that, um, documentation was something that was really important in trying to stay on the same page. And with every project and with every phase of a project, um, how you document what you're doing may be different. There's not necessarily one way for everything, but based on how much time you're able to really dedicate to it, the format of what kinds of notes you would be taking in the format of the meetings that you have, the distribution of the responsibilities, um, experimenting, like every project's kind of experimenting at first, especially with student projects, um, to kind of get a feel for what really fits what they're trying to do at that point in time um, is something that um, as we progress through the, through this experience, um, the, the value of doing that became more and more apparent. Um, so you have students that come and go for a variety of reasons. Course loads may vary. Um, not everyone is so nonchalant with missing time studying. Um, even like early on and that's that's perfectly fine um, it's just a natural thing of the kind of environment that we're in and so this is like we said it's a it's kind of like a platform to get experience but um, yeah, yeah I just was sorry yeah, I just wanted to add an add on on your documentation point because I think that's very important and we didn't mention that all. But uh, and two examples of ways we did that was that I thought was were pretty good. Um, every like we said on every Saturday we'd have this meeting, and uh, we tried to institute this weekly presentation or biweekly presentation thing where you would be for, forced kind of to sign up uh, at least once during the semester to present on what you've been working on. And it could be you or two, three people together. And that then forced you again, it said, you have this deadline now to finish this work no matter what and, and present it and then be questioned by all of us. Um, and that served the dual purpose of informing everyone else on the team what you'd been doing and then getting feedback on it and then also then personally helping you with your presentation skills and then when we when we had a collaboration with jpl then again we were forced to make these um, i think it was bi-weekly or monthly presentations where we summarize everything and then they scrutinize all our work and give us feedback so 
that was sort of our form of documentation. It wasn't as rigorous as an actual mission or project, but yeah, it's very useful, like Omar said. I don't think it has anything to do with your question initially, but it's very useful. No, it's good to, I mean, so I mean, I talk a lot about what we did for Phoenix on this, but you know, what worked for Phoenix doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the best thing that you can possibly do. And so it's good to see what other people have done. Um, I mean, like we would do weekly presentations at meetings, but it was kind of like, we would have one PowerPoint slide and then every slide was dedicated to a subsystem. And then there were bullet points on there that just went over the highlights of, of what people had done last week, what they were working on this week. And then they just kind of presented that. Um, but that, you know, that's not that, you know, like there's, there wasn't anything kind of like what, what you guys were talking about where, um, you know, it's, it's a much larger presentation of like, this is all of our design work. Um, Cause it, I mean, when we were doing a lot of these, these PowerPoints, it was kind of in the later stages when it was like, okay, we have to like test stuff and, and figure out what doesn't work and why it doesn't work. Um, so it's, it's kind of not to this, I don't know, like weekly presentations are not to the same degree of pressure as, as something like say a CDR, like the, the CDRs were probably the, our larger milestones where there was a lot more pressure to, you know, um, really put a whole lot of detail into it and, and demonstrate that, that we had done um, a significant amount of work for those. And then, you know, the, all of the time leading up to that was, you know, people like either team leads or myself pressing on certain things because I knew, okay, in six months, we have to talk about this at CDR and this is going to take a long time to figure out. Um, so we need to get rolling on this and we, we need to document it just, you know, um, but I, I, I like, I like the format that you guys did where you, where you had people, you know, give more formal presentations like that to, to really have them present a lot of the work that, that they did. And so you guys could actually like drill into them because that, that does put pressure on you. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think they liked it, but it was, yeah, definitely <laughs> interesting um, for them and maybe us also to, yeah, really get, understand, oh, this is what's happening and something that you were not involved at all in um, to get that background. Because yeah, like, of course uh, we had more time and all that, but I remember for the Phoenix case, you'd hear a bullet and I had no idea what that actually meant at how. If you told me to do that, I couldn't do it. But we tried to make it, since we had more time and stuff, uh, where after hearing this presentation by, about plasma modeling, you at least had the tools to be able to replicate what they did. Yeah, and that way, uh, at least from a learning perspective, it was nice. In to answer your original question of scheduling, how do you really like approach that um, when you're not really sure what is down the line in a few months on what you're going to find out with your project because you haven't gotten there yet, but you kind of know what your ultimate goals are and um, starting with where you want to be and where you're at and trying your best to understand as many of the aspects of both of those 
um, states, I guess, or um, of both of those points, um, as much as you can in terms of resources on hand, not just tools or equipment, but people you have on the project and how engaged some of them are versus others, what kinds of backgrounds do they have, um, where are their interests moving forward in their career or in the project itself, um, how comfortable some people are with some tasks versus others, and um, the people that you can talk to, um, like we had mentioned, um, whether it be other students or um, faculty or just other people that have done similar things or where to find resources of material, um, what is your methodology of finding these resources to find these things out? And um, with, oh, and how are you going to fund what you need? But when do you really need the funding? And um, then what kinds of opportunities kind of line up with that a general timeline? And a when can be something that's dependent on an event happening, or it can be a point in time on from an external deadline. Um, so a lot of times within like an ongoing kind of R&D project that might be more tied to an event of once you reach this point, then you can do these other items that are expected down the line. Um, but really trying to sit down and find out what you need and then what you have, not have, and what you have the opportunity to get um, and or like acquire one way or another. Um, and getting input on that um, for any project that you're working on. Um, and the more you kind of dive into that, then you'll get a little more familiar with the technical sides of a project and get a sense of some things that can be done in parallel, but um, as well as finding what parts of the subsystems have more dependencies on each other than others. Um, so, and so that will determine your development path to kind of converge on the design. If it's obvious in a working complete system, how interrelated certain aspects of two subsystems are and then how independent and or adaptable a design of like a third subsystem can be would give you some hints on um, how you'd want to approach it. But I mean, with any kind of research project, you don't really know exactly where you'll be in four months or so, or at the end of a semester, you're just working as best as you can to kind of inform yourself of your next steps and to have a clear process to do that, to start out with, um, that has its own process for adaptation as you learn and can do things a little bit better. The last thing um, that I'm gonna say is that context, um, 
matters and focusing on the context of where you want to be and where you are will help you find um, the answers on how to get there. All of this was was really great. Um, and it, it's definitely, it's, I think it's very beneficial for other people to see perspectrum, perspectrums. I think I just invented a new word, <laughs> perspectives from, yeah. No, I just, I, I steal all of my content, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, now I just keep wanting to say perspectrums, <laughs> or record perspectrums. <laughs> Um, it's good for people to see different perspectives for all of these topics that are, you know, not just mine or, you know, not just our, our teams or anything. So, um, no, I, all of this was, was really awesome. Okay. Awesome. Thanks guys. This, no, this was, this was a lot of fun to just and, and talk about being a student and how much it's, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Here. Um, spectrum. No, how how much it's you know just kind of scarred us for life. I'm not scarred. What are you talking about? Do you guys feel like you're scarred? I know Sarah jokes about being scarred, but like, what about you, Omar and Joe? Do you feel like you were scarred by all of this? Honestly? Yeah, I carry a doll around with me to show people where it touched, where yeah. I was touched, <laughs> Eddie. Yeah. Touched by me? <laughs> <laughs> No, just my life uh, experiences okay, okay. in general. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't always joke about, I guess, being scarred, per se. Um, I, I definitely don't regret any of my experiences, but it's 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 not easy. And it's not comfortable, as, as we were saying before. So. Okay. For me, I, I, at least when I look back, I sort of forget any of the bad stuff, and it's just all the good stuff. So, mm -hmm. yeah to me it's just like oh it was amazing yeah even though it may not have been all the time and it wasn't all the time but still yeah i don't know about me i just kind of do things okay <laughs> i like that philosophy <laughs> i do like that philosophy okay awesome yeah, but i mean I've had a good time with all this in terms of like working with all y'all too. Yeah, it's definitely the people that really make projects like this too. Um, yeah. Yeah. More, more so than anything you're working on. More so some people than others. Yeah. Like me. <laughs> No comment. Okay. <laughs> yes, King Eddie. Oh right, no, where we have to bow. Sorry. Yeah. How rude of me. <laughs>that's all for this episode of the art of space engineering as always thank you all for supporting this podcast and if you are a student yourself and you're listening to this i hope this discussion was helpful or reassuring to you even if it's only in a small way i try to post new content as often as i can and make these episodes useful to people of all ages so if you have any comments questions or ideas for future episodes 
please feel free to just shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find both of those resources in the show description. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you want to support it, please share these episodes with your friends who may be interested in them. And don't forget to follow this on your favorite podcast source and on Facebook to get notifications on upcoming episodes. Here's looking forward to future adventures and the lessons learned from them. Cheers, Sarah.